Well, well, well. How the turntables. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of F1 in Review, the episode, the hour and indeed the first part of where we look back at round 4 Imola of the F1 2022 season. I'm Tom Claiborne and I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and for the first time in a few weeks, Angus Gallagher. You can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter as well as F1 in Review as well. We have our own separate account where we share the episodes once they've been published on River Radio if you're listening live and also on a Wednesday if you're listening in a pre-recorded recorded or post-production fashion, if that makes any sense at all. So we start off by talking about an old frenemy that has made a return after a long absence, the sprint race. Last year, Imola didn't host a sprint race, but this year it did indeed. And we got our first one of the season. Um, there's been some slight changes, but the, the crux of it remains the same. It's a 100km dash, basically 20-21 laps in this case with no mandatory pit stops. And how they finish on Saturday is how they start on Sunday. So apologies for any confusion when wrapping up on the last episode. But there have been some changes. Last year it was wrongly called the Sprint Qualifying. This year it is just called the Sprint. And uh, P1 now gets a huge amount of points of 8 points rather than 3 last year with a sliding scale down to 1 for 8th place. So what do we make of the return of the sprint race of the sprints and the 21 laps we saw at Imola where we saw Max Verstappen win and Sergio Perez and Sainz climb and reclaim after a rather underwhelming qualifying on Friday? Is it early to say that the sprint race was more entertaining than the actual race? Or is that something we need to get into later Ooh. on in the podcast? Because it kind of was. It, and apologies that we got got it wrong in the in the format um, when we were describing the format in the last episode. It's because they started describing what pole was and and how you got pole by qualifying on on Friday um, in first. That that's the person who got down um, in the record books as taking pole position, and then they scrapped the whole sprint qualifying name so i i read the articles and 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 the um official weekend format and thought oh right okay i see i see how they're doing it then friday influences sunday rather than saturday but no no they're 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 confusing us even more by changing the names of things and changing amount of points but it was certainly an interesting uh event yet again sprint races seem to be quite exciting Uh, they've thrown up good racing in the past and you know, looking back at last year, for example, in Silverstone, that was a that was a good sprint race. And mm. historically speaking, Max has done very well at the sprint races, and that trend seems to continue. But yeah, I, I think again, I think they're too long. But that is me being you know 
pessimistic because what we don't want, I think, is basically Saturday to be a mini version of what Sunday's going to be. We still want that level of unknown for Sunday, which is why I think that they have a little bit of a way to go yet with the sprint races. I think that they should be a little bit shorter so that anyone who gets a spectacular start doesn't then lose out um, because of the length of the race. But also, why don't they do what they do in the lower divisions? Why don't they reverse the the top 10, for example? I think that would make the sprint races just a little bit more unique than what they are now. They're a good idea. I, I, I am enjoying them as a novelty, which is probably where they lie at the moment. But I think they could still be expanded a little bit more. Otherwise, as I say, they're just a mini version of what Sunday's going to be. It was a better sprint race than the ones that have gone before, for sure. That can't be argued. You had a bit more action in it. You had an actual pass for the lead in the last couple of laps of the sprint, which was a novelty. Um, You had some decent racing up and down the field. And also, I think the fact that now that we have the sprint offering points down to eighth place as opposed to it just being the top three that gives more incentives to the drivers further down so you saw an actual battle for say eighth and seventh place between Bottas, Magnussen and Alonso and Schumacher as well so the incentives were greater uh, for the lower drivers but at the same time I'm just going to say it again I don't see the point of these sprints honestly they just they're just a little bit of extra to try and make the race weekend interesting but I'm not convinced they really do that. For me, the sprint is, I think we saw on Saturday, the product of what was realistically a more jumbled up grid after qualifying. Like you had Haas and Alpine and McLaren higher up than usual. Mercedes, I know they were slow regardless, but they were right down the field. You had Carlos Sainz in 10th, not representative really of where his car should be. But the sprint just saw the fast, it gave the fast drivers an extra chance to make up ground as opposed to them having to start the Grand Prix in those positions and then having to work their way through from there. So, for example, Perez started seventh after the sprint, he was third. Science started tenth after the sprint, he was fourth. And that immediately, for me, put the good teams, or the good teams, the faster teams, in a position where they could then take advantage and almost return to their more natural position. So, for me that almost not that not that it like had a massive impact on the race on Sunday but it kind of took that element away and I still there's still arguments of oh the sprint is a sprint but it's too long but in reality it's too short to make a difference so should it be longer because if it's longer then tire dead will come into it but then if it's longer it's not really a sprint like I if it's if there's this much like argument and tedium about it I really don't see the point of them I'm actually glad there's only three of them each year because I just I don't think they add as much to the spectacle despite the almost cringeworthy fawning that Ross Braun gives to every single time one of them happens <laughs> he, he, he never speaks a word all year and then he has a special <laughs> press conference after every sprint saying well I thought that was rather good for the racing and the drivers really enjoyed it and gave good feedback he even said George Russell said in an interview um, that he's he's been one of the more vocal critics not critics but like skeptics will say of the sprint and George Russell said something like oh it's it's not really it's it still doesn't have too much of an effect on the racing and Ross Braun came out and said hmm. we're not going to take to on board too much feedback from those who may have struggled in the sprint race 
Um, yeah. Oh, and, 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 and then he kind of... And then and he kind of rode back on it and said, well, I will actually, actually, we're going to like obviously take on board a wide range of feedback. But that sounded to me like he was only prepared to listen to those who were positive about it, basically the yes men, but those who were giving more critical feedback. And George Russell is the president of the, of the Grand Prix Drivers Association. So he's a respected voice. It sounded like Ross Braun was just going, you know what, if you don't like it, I'm not going to listen to you. Um, but... Yeah, I'm not overall. Con- overall, I'm not convinced by the sprint format. Still, it would take maybe, maybe like you say, Tristan, a little spice up, like a reverse of the top ten, like they do in F2. Maybe that would spice it up, make it more interesting. But until then, I, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I can't say I'm sold by the sprint either. Really, I'm glad it's not replaced qualifying. It only comes in occasionally, and then it still has that sort of wow or all oh, this is something different this weekend type energy to it. But I think you've both underlined the key and inherent flaws the sprint or sprint qualifying has. First of all, it's too long. Twenty-one laps is not a sprint by any estimation by anyone. And as well, it devalues qualifying, so it extends the weekend, we have a larger weekend, but Friday still largely counts for nothing because you've got 21 laps for the top teams to blitz past the uh, lower down teams. Haas, for example, qualified P4 with Magnussen and fell down owing to the sprints. Uh, and as I say, and we, we also, sort of Perez and Sainz were able to climb up because they're the best kit to their advantage underneath them. I would actually, if the sprint were to stay, and it will stay, and I think we'll see more of them, I would rather it be a sort of self-contained, isolated episode with bigger points. So you have half the points you'd have for, let's say, a normal race, for example. You reduce the laps down to, let's say, 10 laps, roughly speaking, at an average. And then you've actually got, oh, okay, someone's won the sprint. They've got points for the championship, be it drivers or constructors. But then it doesn't impact the actual race spectacle or how they line up on Sunday. But then again, there's the big issue, isn't there, of the cost cap environment, because if you were essentially going to have a sprint as an isolated event and then a race on Sunday, along with the many practices and qualifying in its entirety and how it should be, i.e. deciding Sunday's grid, then you have to have more money then for the teams because there's going to be more spin-offs, more crashes, and a lot more red flags and nose cone damage. As we saw in Emola, there was so many yellow flags, red flags, stop starts. It was, you know, one of those sort of qualifyings at least that I felt would never end. <laughs> but, um, five red I, flags. I, I, five red flags. It's incredible, isn't it? And you, you expect that somewhere like Saudi Arabia where it's really close walls to the tracks and um, they're racing at such a high sort of breakneck speed constantly but I did not expect it from Imola to be said it's fair to say and um, of course the the conditions the the weather impacted the race again as it did last year but um, no I was very surprised but that would be how I would do the sprint it's got the right name for it to be an isolated self-contained event so why don't they have the cojones to uh, to go through with it but um, yeah I'm at Ross Braun so there we go well Haas was an interesting one of the weekend because unfortunately they well it wasn't i I say they actually um, afterwards um it was magnuson who owned up to the overall mistake during the sprint race for Haas, which was magnuson um qualified in that Haas car um in the fifth place and for some reason he decided he wanted to start on the medium tires the idea was that everyone else would start doing worse on their tires and he being on the mediums wouldn't lose as much pace because the degradation would be lower but of course that didn't happen and so that's why he then fell back um into eighth place 
So it was a bit unfortunate for Haas, really. Just, uh, you know, to, to some extent, a shorter sprint race might have mitigated that a little bit because he wouldn't have been able to fall back as much. But yeah, Haas, Haas really failed to capitalise in that sprint race for the opportunity for some really quite important points for them. Um, although, actually, if you then look at Schumacher, he managed to get himself right back up um, into 10th place, which was one of the best qualifying positions for him until the race and then it all went wrong for him there so I, I think again sprint has that opportunity for some really interesting things to come out because there, there is that opportunity for strategy in this case has got the strategy wrong whereas another team might get strategy you know absolutely right um it was thanks to the the good strategy that we saw you know lando norris and daniel ricardo got up to fifth and sixth place in the mclaren so you know there is opportunities to capitalize on it and it is certainly is is a unique um scenario where if you go wrong in qualifying like carlos Sainz did um then you can climb your way back up uh in in and in the sprint race and mitigate some of those um issues i mean carlos Sainz ended up in fourth place even though he had a well, he, he qualified in 10th on Friday as he uh, hit the wall. So I think what we're kind of saying is Sprint has an opportunity to provide us with an interesting sort of weekend format. But in its current for form, it just feels like it takes away the shine from Sunday. They just need to do mm. something new with it. As I say, I th I'm in favour of Friday's qualifying affects the grid order for sunday and then they reverse the the grid maybe for um for the saturday sprint race with eight points for first place and one point for eighth place like they have because then you could have a really really interesting um scenario where a, a, a take a team like williams who wouldn't be usually at the front there well you know if they if they're good at defending and on a short sprint they could pick up some important points so i de yeah definitely room for improvement and i feel that's also where the community is as well i clicked on the the formula one twitter post about sprint and the top quote was woo i love it and then the the comment underneath was literally this is the worst thing in the world <laughs> so i feel like there's a real like uh bipolar feeling towards this at the moment where half half the community is really for it half is against and you know that's quite similar to our podcast right you two don't like it and me representing two people do enjoy it um <laughs> so <laughs> I'm mm. I'm surprised that Formula One's YouTube channel didn't unpin the comment saying that it was the worst thing in the world. It seems like something they would. That was Twitter. Um, <laughs> oh, it Twitter. Sorry. Oh, uh, even if they if they'd unpinned that. To be honest, I think this with the the race format, the phrase that comes to mind to a certain extent is "If it ain't broke, don't fix it." I don't think I think the race format as it was was absolute. It was is absolutely fine. Last year provided us with one of the best F1 seasons of all time. And we're not just talking about the title fight. There were some great battles throughout the field. Multiple drivers won races. Why, if something's working, why try and mess up with it? You can try and improve it, and it's a good thing to have a mentality we, in general in life where you want to improve things. I mean, you wouldn't get by unless you had that, that mindset. But trying to fix something that isn't broken. It reminds me of a few years ago when we had the... Do you remember those infamous couple of races where they tried to uh, t 
tweak the qualifying system yes. and they got rid of the knockout format and they just had they had a timer running down for but it was absolutely atrocious and <laughs> at the time it was a case of why did you tweak this because it was fine in the first place and i think the similar thing has to be said about the current race weekend format like it's fine so why do you need a saturday dash or sprints or whatever that is maybe not a sprint because it's a third of the length but is a third a sprint when it should be shorter but if it's too long then the tires degra- uh, degradate enough but then it's too long for a sprint it's confusing man it is like confusing. it's just yeah. like mm. I, I i yeah i'm just i mean i i i'm probably the I'm not quite the that comment of um, this is the worst thing in the world. I wouldn't go, I wouldn't quite go that that far. But there are a lot worse things in the world. But it's in terms of Formula One, it's just it's, it's not great. I, I just don't I don't rate it. Just honestly, I suppose we can take solace though from the fact that they did change it from last season. Not hugely. It's still the crux as as it was, if you were. But I suppose if they are changing little bits here and there and we heard at the start of the season that the teams weren't prepared to have more sprint races unless there was a raising of the budget cap and of course F1 couldn't do that because it would go against their sustainability uh, mantra and pledge moving forward so there is change taking place if there was six sprint races or god forbid 12 making up nearly half of the weekends I would be very concerned but um, I suppose if we're thinking positively we can change this, or F1 is willing to change this in a in a way that drivers and teams and fans like a bit more. Because I think it's fair to say that with there being more points on offer, that is very much listening to our critique of when it was first announced of, I'm sorry, three points for a race win. <laughs> yes. Are you taking the mickey? <laughs> no, that was the thing. It, um, it kind of was a, a pointless race. Yeah, it, there was yeah. no points really on offer for, for anyone. Um, although of course they were listening to our critique there, uh, Tom. Oh, <laughs> but I don't. I think in reality is the sprint races are here to stay. It's an excellent sponsorship moment, and I know you're you're pleased with the amount of sprint races this year, which said there are going to be three. But if, at the beginning of the season, it was announced that there were going to be half of the of the the races were going to be sprint races. So. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised insane. if it was three this year. You know, six sounds like quite a round number, you know, Tom. Now you've said like our oh, six races. <laughs> there I reckon there there could be six races. That would be three sprints before the summer break and then maybe three sprints after. And then yeah, and then that would I suppose allow them to have enough distance between each one that it would still be a novelty, but the thing is though it, you, what they've done is is they've allowed them to have that new sponsorship moment and and bring in that new money and the thing is we are legacy formula one watchers we are fans have been watching this for a long time i i suppose the thing is for new fans it's just it's another bit of excitement and i know angus your sentiment of well if it's not broke don't fix it is all well and good but to some extent, the, the sprints are, are great for, for people who don't want to commit you know, an hour and a half, two hours to watching Sunday's race. It, it is a bit like highlights of Sunday, if you'd like. And in, Oh, come on. And in this case, people... it was more interesting, wasn't it? So so, so, so we want to... So this is it's an interesting point in general around sport, actually, because it's, it's the, the general divide that there used to be, but it's kind of being blurred between sport and entertainment. Um, I feel sorry for those people who 
they can't commit to if they can't commit to one and a half or two hours of watching a sporting event, how on earth are they ever going to be able to commit to anything for one and a half to two hours at a time in their life? They're, they're, they're going to struggle with life if they can't commit two hours to something. Um, I know you say that you can't commit, but maybe it's they don't want to commit to yeah, well, they don't want yeah. to if, if if they don't want to commit then they should go watch another sport wow that's that's a pessimistic yeah. way to to view a fan's commitment to the sport highlights exist for a reason what, what so, mm. so so we, so we're gonna have to not dumb down but we're going to have to reduce something and its quantity just because some people can't stand it for a long a longer period of time well we're adding them aren't we if we've got a race on saturday and sunday that's addition versus taking away no well, if it's, adi- if, if it's addition, they're not going to be able to cope. It's going to be two and a half hours, not two hours. How, they, how, no, are, no, these, no, but how are these short attention span people going to cope? No, but I'm just <laughs> saying there's, there's, there's more racing over two days. Like, for example, we know the boxing's been on recently. If I, if someone said to me, you're going to go and watch the boxing, I, being a non-boxing fan, wouldn't go, well, it better be two hours because I really want to get into the technicalities <laughs> of this. I'd, I'd like to see a short, snappy taster if you will of what's to come and then if i'm invested and i'm like oh okay i really do like this uh respective sport boxing formula one then i'm prepared to go and uh dedicate two hours of my life into it but to go and say to someone right if you want to get involved with this sport you have to and there'll be no ifs no buts no <laughs> opting out you have to watch two hours you're going to alienate a lot of people which I'm is gonna sit, sit you down and glue you to a chair for two hours in front of the screen <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we can't gatekeep fans, but the the point is, is when I was watching it on on Saturday, I was watching it for twenty minutes, and you get to the end of it, and then you think, right, well, that was that was you know twenty one laps, it was half an hour of my time. Good, we had a good race, and then but at the end of the end of the race, we had that last overtake with Max. I felt like that was a a you know a good portion of time. On Sunday, we had the full race. And I'm getting up and making cups of tea to try and keep my my brain a bit more awake as they're just going around in circles. Family members are falling asleep, and I, I said afterwards, I said, "Oh, I saw you <laughs> fell asleep," and and they're like, "Oh yeah, the the gentle, you know, sound of the cars going around in circles was really really quite nice, and it just nods you off to sleep." <laughs> and that's something that I think we forget as as you know diehard fans of formula one is is we're gonna sit down for two hours and watch it and throughout the red flags and safety car periods but remember angus we are quite willing to dedicate a huge amount of our time to, to following the sport and sprint races op- offer an opportunity to have a bite-sized chunk a full length bite-sized chunk of of a race with i suppose more compact action because there are large portions of the the race when the the cars drift really far apart and then are in no man's land and we never see them again because it's a compact race you the amount of time where nothing happens is therefore shorter which i think is an advantage to the sprint race but if i suppose that the counter is if that's the only benefit of the sprint races which is it's basically sunday's race but small and will grab people's attention that's not the purpose of them is it and and that's the the criticism but if it is hooking Mm, in fans that's i suppose only a positive so for those who listened to the last episode of f1 in review they may have heard me concluding said episode by saying something along the lines of well, here's hoping the Italian crowds can enjoy some Ferrari success at Imola. 
their home race. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Very different is the mood today. Uh, Ferrari suddenly not looking so bulletproof, despite my earlier comments that they'd sewn up everything. Two DNFs for signs. Uh, you've got one, of course, at Imola and Melbourne before that. You've got Leclerc um, having an opportunity and opting to go for the second place by pitting for some softs, but then being too aggressive and, I'd say, naive as well, and uh, ending up in P6. Meanwhile, Red Bull, after all their reliability issues, scored themselves a 1-2 for the first time since Malaysia 2016. And in this race alone... And I must stress, this is an isolated incident looking at this race compared to the ones before. They look like they can beat Ferrari in both championships and look like the better, the best car and probably has the best driver with them. What do we make then of that incident? Do we feel that with Red Bull's dominance throughout the entirety of the weekend, it has to be said, not only on the Sunday but also the Saturday as well, Max winning the sprint and uh, Perez doing extremely well, not only with a tactical game of um, holding Leclerc up and acting as a buffer but also also uh, finishing P2 as well. Do we feel that the battle for the championships are now both on, or could this be another flash in the pan where Red Bull have another cracking race as they did in Saudi, and then they have another Melbourne, and Verstappen doesn't finish, and there's question marks, and there's, oh, I hope we can finish a race next time, and all that sort of energy comes back. What do we feel? I feel that this was, you feel like from the the fact that he got pole position, and the fact that he then had the pace to win the sprint, as well as Perez going up through the field. you felt I felt that this was, as long as the start went his way on, on Sunday, this was Re- Verstappen and Red Bull's weekend. They had a slight pace advantage, and that's going to happen in a championship fight. It, uh, if you've got two teams at the front, it's going to ebb and flow, and one team's going to be quicker one weekend, and then the other team's going to be quicker the next weekend, and so on. So... That, for me, stood out in that the two teams were quite closely matched. But then Ferrari had a combination... So, in a standard weekend, Ferrari would have got, what, third and fourth and would have moved on from that and would have said that's a pretty decent weekend. we still got a healthy lead in the championships, which they still do, relatively. Having I've just looked at the Constructors' Championship and maybe they don't. But anyway, um, <laughs> but, but through a combination of poor luck... Um, or depending on your your viewpoint or possible uh, side that you support, Daniel Ricciardo not putting his brakes on the pedal uh, soon enough, managed mm. to spin around Carlos Sainz. Paul the rest to call it a racing incident. I think I'm inclined to agree agree a little bit, but Ricciardo was possibly more to more had more blame apportioned to him, or should have done. And then the first sign of a mistake by Charles Leclerc. Um, obviously early in the championship, only round four, but an unnecessary an unnecessary error. Being in third place, so he's pitted to try and get the fastest lap, knowing that his tyre advantage is going to easily get him to overtake Lando Norris, despite the gap not being big enough for a free pit stop. Perez has done the same, and they've come out again, nose to tail, but on new tyres. Now, the correct decision to try and get the fastest lap for sure, because we've seen in championship fights, especially last year, the difference that the fastest lap point can make at the end of the season. How even, I mean, at the end of the day, if you've got two rivals against each other and one takes the fastest lap point off each other, even though the fastest lap point is worth one point, that's a two-point swing, which can be very important. So the decision to go for that, absolutely fair from Leclerc. Um, But... 
he took too much of that inside curve at the Variante Alta, spun it round. By the way, lucky that he's gone inside on. We talk about, it's not something you talk about often, the way in which cars, F1 cars go into the barrier. If he goes in backwards, that's his race done. That's his rear wing assembly, his rear suspension out of action for the rest of the race. So he's lucky in the end that he's gone in sideways, pretty much sidewall contact, sidewall of the tyre contact with the barrier, and he's been able to drive away pretty quickly. So an, an, an enforced error there, but also a little bit of luck, meaning that he could recover, could go into the pits, put on some new tyres and recover to sixth in the end. So I think overall, Red Bull had the stronger weekend, and yes, they came out of it with 44 points compared to Ferrari's eight. But on on other weekends, Ferrari could have come out with not with less points for sure, but not as few as eight. So it'd be interesting to see whether, I mean, from my point of view, it looks like a weekend where they could have had a bit of bad luck with science, especially in the race, and then a combination of that and an error from Leclerc. But it's now closed up the Constructors' Championship battle quite considerably. It's now Ferrari 124, Red Bull 113. So it'd be interesting to see how this develops going forward and if Ferrari have a couple of stinkers in terms of points, like this one, or whether it's just a one-off. So we'll see how yeah, we'll see how it develops going forward. Yeah, this weekend for Ferrari, it very much makes me eat a, a good dose of humble pie, shall we say, after my prior comments, which is not unexpected, shall we say, but uh, there we are. It does look, however, that Red Bull, if we're looking at this, have solved their reliability issues, and it seems have the fastest car, not only in a power circuit in Saudi Arabia, but also the street circuit or a street-esque circuit uh, with Imola. So that makes them look pretty formidable, and it looks like the championship battles are indeed on. Now, looking at Ferrari, once again, you've got Sainz cursed with some awful bad luck. He had a you know, not very good qualifying, as we say, on Friday, got himself back up to a very respectable place after the sprint, and then Ricardo decided that that wasn't meant to be. It all depends, doesn't it, when we come to the end of the season, how this race for Ferrari is viewed. Obviously, it's going to be viewed negatively because they were back home in Imola at their home circuit, uh, part one at least. But if we look back at this race and go, God, this was the worst it got for Ferrari, you'd go, well, it's not that bad, is it, really? When you consider that Red Bull, for example, had an absolute shocker at Bahrain, both didn't finish, and then Melbourne was pretty close as well when you consider that Verstappen retired, although, of course, Perez did get that second place. But at the end of the season, if we look back at this and go, oh, yeah, do you remember that sort of middling semi-good weekend where they got a sixth in retirement and there's even worse races to come in the uh, remaining 19 Grand Prix or so, then if you're Ferrari, you're going to be really, really worried. So there's two ways this could go because there's a lot of luck, as you say there, Angus, with Leclerc. He could have easily... um, ended up retiring from this race. Indeed, I thought he did when he sort of gently slammed into the barriers there. I thought, well, that's it, isn't it? He's he's done. Um, that's a shame for Ferrari, a double DNF at home, yikes, red faces all round. But that didn't happen. So there are points on the board, and if Leclerc is going to be gunning for this world championship and indeed very close to it, a sixth place compared to Verstappen not finishing twice is not really a negative weekend at all. That's a pretty middling, semi-good weekend when you consider that everything is going to ebb and flow. So, contrary to my earlier uh, assertions, 
They've not got it all sewn up, but I do think that if this is as bad as it gets for Leclerc and Ferrari, then they'll be fine. But um, Red Bull, if they can keep their their car finishing and at this pace, as I think they will do, and the fact that they've been able to perhaps solve these reliability issues so early on, after historically they've been plagued by reliability in the past, uh, before the Verstappen Championship win last year, then you've got to go and say that we're in for another 2021-esque season where we're not only fighting for who's going to be the uh, driver's champion, but also who's going to be winning the constructors as well. So game on for Miami, I think, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, and I think... When was it last week or maybe the week before we were discussing <laughs> whether or not the season was over? I think we said actually or then that any level of or any DNF or anything like that is going to cause a big problem uh, for Ferrari. And I saw a lot of people being on, you know, on, on the Internet going, oh, well, the season's over. That's it. Charles Leclerc is so far ahead of Verstappen. That's it because Verstappen had two DNFs. And the season, yeah, yeah well, maybe, and, <laughs> but it does feel like that sometimes. But in the the problem is, the season is very very long, and even if you drive brilliantly, there are so many other factors. I mean, it could be a freak weather storm. You might have to overtake Stroll or Latifi, for example. Those are real dangerous scenarios that could cause a DNF at any time for you unexpectedly, and so. It is, I think, it would be very premature in, in, in saying at any point that the season is completely over. And it was very much an unfortunate weekend for Ferrari. But to be honest, it's going to happen to every single team. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if every single team had some sort of near double DNF experience um, in terms of their point numbers so what i mean is every team this year is going to have a, a race where both their drivers or one of them is out of the points and the other one's pretty low down and that's just what happens when we have these big change of regulations and, and that's you know i'm basically parroting what i've said before you know in terms of the race though i, I was a much better race week in terms of f1 fantasy um i got, I got 192 <laughs> points this year this week rather than 56 um so <laughs> you know that was nice um so a lot of my drivers ended up finishing um the race rather than crashing out of it this this week but it was just apparently ferrari's turn and i can't help thinking how the cars crash so differently and when Leclerc went off, I was almost convinced we were going to have you know, a DNF from him. He was going to hit the barriers. His wheel was going to buckle. The rear um, wing assembly could fall off. The front nose could be damaged. Something like that. Um, and he, he was completely unscathed. Whereas if it was Carlos Sainz, he just needs to, you know, kiss the barriers. And that's it. The whole car disintegrates. <laughs> Fernando Alonso's side pod got destroyed um, and started ripping itself apart because it had a small impact with the side of a of a tire so I, I know the cars i don't understand whether or not they're really really strong or really really fragile or if it's just you have to be super duper lucky how you hit the barriers so i'd be interested to hear from an actual engineer about whether or not they reinforce the cars to hit a barrier like on the tires because um, that's what Leclerc did he hit the barrier with the side of his tyre and whether or not that because of the extra bracing there whether that that saved him but you know who knows because it is it is a bit bizarre how some of them just 
you know the cars fall apart from a small accident other ones other ones don't but i think it's the thing that scared me actually um this week was just the straight line speed of the red bull it's even mm. with the drs which leclerc had um well there's just no catching the the red bull at the moment it, it was so it was so much faster in a straight line and that i think is going to be red bull's saving grace is they've got this massive straight line speed which they can take advantage from the ferrari um but i i, I to be honest i think that we're going to see more DNS from from both Charles and Max throughout the season. I don't think we're at out of the woods just yet, and I think it can change. It will definitely change the standings. Now, as as we um, as I said earlier, between Ferrari and Red Bull, there's only eleven points. Well, with Science's bad luck that he's had so far, I a hundred percent, I think Red Bull could potentially take that uh, first place away from from uh, Ferrari at least temporarily, and. Max is now catching Leclerc and you know Charles is on 86 points to Max Verstappen's 59 there's I feel like we've got parallels to last year with Red Bull hmm. at this stage hunting down Mercedes and Max hunting down Mac, um, Lewis Hamilton so yeah definitely all to play for but what I want to ask you is how concerned you all about porpoising because George Russell said at the end of Imola that he's experiencing neck and back pain. And I just wonder whether or not you were at all concerned with the, the the problems the drivers are having. Because from the replays, it looked like all the drivers that were in the severe porpoising cars, so that's Mercedes, that's Ferrari, for example, were having trouble picking their braking points and, and being able to really get the cars in because they're bouncing are you concerned about that are we going to have to maybe introduce new regulations for active suspension to try and mitigate these problems what do we think i mean the fact that george russell's coming out there and saying he's got neck pains and uh chest pains and back pains i think it was uh the three he said there and the fact he's saying that he's not sure that people will be able to carry on racing under these conditions that does raise severe alarms really when you consider that he's one of the drivers doing very well as well it's not like he's had an awful season and gone oh sorry guys it's porpoising so bad i can't drive the car and um, you've got to think the amount of sort of strain it's putting on his body and others bodies as well because if i'm I'm not mistaken as well, wasn't Gasly in severe pain in the uh, last uh, Grand Prix or maybe the Saudi Grand Prix? He had intestinal pain. Is that what you're referring to? Intestinal pain. Yeah, that might have just been trap trap yeah. wind though from something he ate <laughs> rather than oh, okay. because of the porpoising. <laughs> maybe the porpoising See, shook I... his tummy up or something. But he definitely had severe t- <laughs> uh, tummy pains. Okay, apologies, because I read that was linked somehow to porpoising. But anyway, I digress. Um, in regards to the issue more generally, though, obviously, if someone's saying that, Russell's saying he's in severe pain, then something has to be done. The question is, though, how can you then ensure that porpoising is stopped without giving a team an advantage and without ripping up the entirety of the cars and the regulations we've got for 2022? So I wouldn't want to be the FAA or F1 or anyone involved in decision-making when it comes to uh, porpoising and getting rid of it but it's quite obvious that obviously it has to be solved but interestingly as well it seems that at the start of the season porpoising was the bane of all evils if you have porpoising you're going to have an awful formula one car and it's just not going to go well for you but as you say it's affecting everyone but 
seemingly Ferrari are still doing very well in terms of their reliability and speed versus Mercedes. So we're almost seeing a development and a mutation, if you will, of porpoising and how it's affecting uh, cars and drivers. But obviously, if safety comes first. I just question what they can do to ensure that all this goes away as soon as. It's an interesting one because, as we know, F1 is very safety paramount and any issue which may lead to the safety of the drivers being jeopardised would be high on the agenda, you'd think. I'd say that, is is it one where it would just be exclusive to the Mercedes? Because we've seen, obviously, cars porpoise, but the Mercedes does it to quite an extent. So it's a question of, if it was replicated across the grid and you had multiple drivers feeling, what was it George Russell had, like neck and back pain? If you had multiple drivers feeling that, then... They might then have to implement something, but I think at the moment it's just a case of Mercedes's car. They haven't unlocked the secret to stop it bouncing up and down repetitively, so they may just—that's one that the FIA may just let slide, unless the drivers continually showed signs of a uh, uh, repetitive injury. Well, I mean, the Ferrari was doing it too, and it, but it seems mm-hmm. like some of the teams have mitigated the problem, so. Red Bull is porpoising less. McLaren, McLaren, if you remember at the start of the season, had fixed and solved the porpoising problems, but they had brake issues. And so they had solved that that uh, particular problem already. So I don't know whether or not we're going to have to sit down or the team's going to sort of sit down and, and work on a, on a universal solution. But of course, that's never going to be able to be applied to all the cars because they all are working in very, very different ways. And the the Ferrari is the I would say that you know the top car that's currently porpoising. So I you know it's in first place, but it's also got the porpoising problems, and and would be so much faster if it could be so much lower to the ground. So it, it's it's really an odd situation I think we've got in in F one now with the porpoising, because we've got to hope or and the FIA have to hope the engineers can engineer the solution to prevent the safety issue. And it can't be done universally because the cars are all so much different. It's not like in Formula 2 or Formula 3 where everyone has identical cars and everyone just puts on their own stickers on it. Or even the W Series, it's the same system. Everyone's got the same car. Because F1 is you know, a, a right hodgepodge and mishmash of different cars and car designs and styles, that, that there is no one solution for this. As I say, I am a big supporting fan at the moment of bringing active suspension back into formula one given that the cars are reliant on the downforce generated by the floor design then active suspension would be able to be uh, combined with that design ethos to maximize it and therefore you'd be able to maximize the amount of force generated by the underfloor and reduce the amount of force being created by the wings for example which again would allow closer racing so as i say i'm a as i yeah i believe we should have active suspension i think that would solve the problem in fact mercedes said that it would solve the problem i mean it would definitely be better than what they've got now with toto wolf apologizing to lewis hamilton on sunday for the car he's driving Mm. which is just bizarre what a bizarre (laughs) scenario so i mean that's my solution we just bring back active suspension because i i think it's weird that we we we're still in that bernie um in that yeah that that bernie era um of drivers shouldn't have any aids to assist them 
so you know they don't have anti-lock brakes they don't have traction control they don't have active suspension but you know they are effectively upside down airplanes crossed with a dragster that's what an f1 car is so i do Mm. think to some extent the driver aids might be warranted in this scenario so that their skulls aren't being shaken around and they're getting back problems but hey i'm not an f1 purist i i have to say that outright i i'm happy with an evolution of the sport so maybe that's just my you know my if it ain't if it ain't broke don't fix it <laughs> yeah you know. as, as opposed to you mr ain't broke don't fix it i'm yeah. i'm all about evolution hear hear like the 1970s fans saying oh back in my day they'd come out of every race with a broken skull (laughs) (laughs) but on a serious note if the safety was greatly affected then obviously something would have to be done but if it's Mm -hmm. just a mercedes problem then and it's it's the first race he's come out and said that so maybe it was something about the track as well we know it's a obviously imola's come back on the calendar recently it's not as not quite as carpet smooth as say Saudi Arabia or or Bahrain so it's more of an old school track so maybe that was related but only time mm. will tell now ladies and gentlemen lovely listeners of F1 in review if you'd have told me that after what are we on now round 4 of the 2022 season mm. after round 1 in Bahrain that you'd know, see one Lando Norris on the final step of the podium of a race, I would have laughed you out of here. But that's where we are. Lando Norris got himself a wonderful P3, and this comes after a P7 and P5 for McLaren in Saudi Arabia and Melbourne as well. Now, yes, of course, the mistakes of Leclerc, uh, Sainz, Hamilton's absence as well, uh, obviously helped them going in that right direction, helped them get that third place, as well as the fifth and the seventh. But it seems that from that awful starter in Bahrain, where they didn't score any points at all, they seem to be one of the only midfield teams from that huge pack who were possibly able, in my view, to go on and beat a very stuttering and one-man band Mercedes at the moment. And as I say, this comes after previous comments from Zach Brown that the car was vulnerable, and from uh, the team principal of McLaren as well, saying it's crystal clear that other teams did a better job than us. So what do we think then? Do we think after two races, after a stuttering start from McLaren, they are back? Is Lando Norris back? Can they get that third place? Or is this just another sort of flash-in-the-pan moment, as we've seen so far, only four races in? You know, I don't say it very often because I don't like to reveal my my inner biases, but I'm actually quite a big McLaren fan. I am. am. What? (laughs) And uh, I was so pleased. I was so pleased to see Lando on third because I didn't think he'd. I didn't think I'd see a podium from this uh, from them this this year. And I told you they were sandbagging. I said that Lando Norris is sandbagging because he said last time, is this a better... And the question was, is are, are McLaren doing better? And he was like, no, 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 no. We're never going to do better. Blah, ignore me. Um, ignore my past performances. So, yeah, I, I think... I hope they're back. I don't want to... I'm You know, touch wood, they are... <laughs> they are at least, you know, a strong midfield team. And maybe... that Just maybe they might get more than one podium this year. And that'd be great. It would be nice to see Ricardo on there as well. It was a bit unfortunate what happened to Ricardo because in the sprint qualifying, he did really well, qualifying just behind Lando Norris, which demonstrates, I think, um, an excellent place because, you know, to be behind your teammate is exactly where you want to be. It shows that both of you are, are, are you know, doing well. And then it kind of went all a bit wrong in the beginning of the actual race because 
he got his line wrong, um, end up sliding across in the wet weather, hitting Carlos Sainz, and then taking Carlos Sainz out, and himself, he, he then had to go across the gravel and ended up being sort of towards the back of the field. And then um, McLaren put him on the hard tyres, pissed him for hard tyres in the hope that everyone else's mediums would fall off a cliff and he'd be able to get back up into the points. That's why they pitted him again, because he was so far out of the points there to try something. Didn't work and he ended up finishing, well, near the back of the pack again, which wasn't reflective of the actual performance, given that Norris was... Um, on the podium which was wonderful so yeah a little bit of a way to go in terms of getting that double podium um, which I'm, I'm now holding out for <laughs> I would I know I'd love that but yeah it, it it warms the soul to see that papaya back on the um, on the podium I was a bit concerned that they were going to start you know having to redesign the car fully but it seems like they've got their their act together a bit they have hardly any porpoising on the car which is great and they aren't yeah their brakes aren't setting themselves on fire anymore that seems to be williams's new problem (laughs) so yeah all in all Mm. great weekend for mclaren i might even add them back into my f1 fantasy but i dare not because last time i did that they they it was in bahrain when they went all horribly wrong so maybe that's the trick i need to not have them in my fantasy and they start doing well again so it pales in comparison to that interview between that you shared with us Tristan between Lando Norris and Rosanna Tennant the F1 TV presenter after Saudi Arabia where I think Lando came in seventh checks notes seventh indeed and he was he was being said uh, said to him oh it's so much better you've had a much better race you know you've had got some points out of it and he was just saying no the car's rubbish we got lucky because we're at a high speed track we're gonna it's gonna get worse from here and two races later he's bagged himself 29 points since then with fifth in australia fifth in the sprint and then third yesterday on the podium at the emilia romagna grand prix i've got to say it was a brilliant drive all weekend and it proves what i feel like we've known for a while now norris is a very good driver like a very very good driver he took in his first year he took a while to get going but then he was for sure, on the pace of Carlos Sainz after that. And Sainz, again, is a very good driver, so no mean feat. Um, absolutely destroyed Ricardo last year, overall, let's be honest. And, again, proving what a good driver he is. And, we, yes, I know that team is geared around him. It is He's got the long-term deal. It is Lando Norris's team. But he just continues to deliver. He, I feel like he gets the maximum out of that car on a consist, on a consistent basis, which is a credit to him. And... Even despite third place falling into his lap, he was still in that position to take it. He was still doing well, getting the maximum out of the car. He was ahead of Russell and the Mercedes. I know the Mercedes is having issues, but still, he was could easily have slipped back behind the Mercedes, but he was maintaining a consistent pace ahead of Russell. He took advantage when Leclerc made that mistake, of course, and... He's just he's just doing really well, and you can't you can't really complain about his performance. And he's just yeah, he's just getting he's at the top of his game. He's getting the most out of the car. Can't really say much else. Really, it's a brilliant race for him. And to think two years in a row he's been on the podium at Imola last year in a race where you had Bottas was off the pace, Perez was off the pace, and he, he came in took advantage. And this year, again, two drivers from the leading teams, either 
retiring or making a mistake, and he's there to take advantage once again. He's almost like he's almost Mister Reliable, I'd say, and that and but calling that does him a disservice because he is just very reliable at getting the maximum out of the car. And if you ask him to, if he's got the fifth fastest car on the grid, as in, oh sorry, if he's got the third fastest car on the grid, and the top t- top two teams take up places one to four, you ask him to get the most out of the car and come in come home fifth, he'll do that, no problem at all. He might even snatch mm. a fourth. So the, yesterday, him, he was going along at the maximum he could do, and then he took advantage when the mistake was made by a driver ahead of him. So I think it shows, one, what a brilliant driver he is, but also, to be fair, the McLaren car itself, being in a position to take advantage like that, it shows the strides they've made since the start of the season, both on the car side in terms of development and upgrades, but also on, you'd say the Mercedes engine looks like it's getting making slight incremental improvements mm. as we go on. Um, mm. but yeah, I think that that race is a credit to a credit to Lando, really, and d- good to see a driver from outside the top three teams on the podium for the first time this season. Tom, I have a question for you. Before, just oh. as I want to do, as I derail your thoughts, <laughs> Mercedes have seventy seven points, or as I like mm. to call it, a boss ass number of points, and hey. McLaren Mercedes <laughs> has uh, forty six points. By the end of the season, could McLaren mm. beat Mercedes? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think so. Um, As I say, we're very early into this uh, F1 season and currently with Lando Norris matching George Russell in many aspects, aside from Bahrain, I'd say, insofar he's been so consistent and McLaren are improving. I'd say they're definitely on for giving them a good run for their money. Uh, The question is, it always is with McLaren, especially over the last few years, is how consistent can they be over the duration of a season? For those who watched F1 last season, they'll remember, of course, the first half was brilliant. They got the one to win Monza. It could let it get better. And then oh. it didn't. And then they got fourth place and Ferrari overtook them. Um, so consistency is key. But I think that if anyone's going to break out from the pack and they're doing that now, McLaren are the ones to beat Mercedes. It all depends, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but it all depends how Lewis Hamilton does to how Mercedes do when it comes to uh, this season. We'll get onto this a lot more in the next episode next week because I realise we're running out of time and this is such a huge topic. But currently McLaren and Mercedes have got one driver doing very well and the other one stuttering owing to things that are out of their control and things that are perhaps not. But I think we're so early in the season, only four rounds in, there's been such strides, as we all say, in terms of McLaren and Mercedes. These upgrades and these developments and them getting to the front of the grid and them sandbagging and them holding back, that's not really ringing true when it comes to the raw ability of the car. Um, And McLaren are now matching them in terms of being ready for when there's a mistake or an issue from the two big teams. So they can definitely catch them. I wouldn't put a whole lot of money on it, but I think it's 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 somewhat likely if we carry on in this trajectory. Well, it's it's frustrating, I think, that that, that Ricardo hasn't sort of unlocked his true potential because let, let's face it, we all know he's a we all know he's a great driver, and at Red Bull yes. he was brilliant. Even at Renault, he helped develop the team. He managed to secure you know, their first podium, and and in the end. He decided to move across to McLaren, which was definitely an interesting move. Some will argue it wasn't the right one, others will. But ever since he's moved away from Red Bull, I feel like we, we haven't had that proper Ricardo talent that we know is, is in there. And he does too. 
and I, I was so hoping this weekend that we were going to get that because he he qualified so well during the sprint. But if you look at the driver standings at the moment, Ricardo's well, he's in eleventh place with eleven points, and you compare that to Lando Norris, who's in sixth place with thirty-five points. You can't help but get the feeling that a lot of the points for McLaren, well, you know, sort of three quarters of the points are coming from one driver and that's really annoying <laughs> you know really annoying and as you say mm. I, I tom it wouldn't it be weird if if the whole season for, for well the whole season for mclaren came down to who's going to be the better driver lewis hamilton or daniel ricardo you know who which one of those is going to be able to claw enough points because mm. at the moment lewis hamilton's got 28 points which and it's just not working for him but Ricardo just needs to pick himself up a bit and 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 improve. Um, and you know, as I say, this weekend was a bit unfortunate. It was wet weather, and he he was unlucky in that he slipped and, and took out signs with him. But you know, these were points that have been massively valuable for for McLaren, and they now have gone from a team that we were working out where they would be at the back of the pack to suddenly. Where are they going to be at the front? And they've pulled out enough mm. of a lead, I think, from Alfa Romeo, who are sitting behind them in fifth, which is another bizarre one, on 25 points that, you know, they're, they're starting to pull away there. But I think a McLaren versus Mercedes is a title, is a fight that I didn't see going into this season. And I'm all up for but Ricardo, he's just got to pick himself up. Yes, it's a continuation, isn't it, of last season's issues when it comes to the McLaren team. You've got one driver doing rather well and the other one showing potential, but it's just not coming up. And as I say, I've you know I've made my, my thoughts clear on sort of uh, the flack or lack of that Ricardo gets, but now is the time for him to go and prove his worth to the McLaren team. And there's no more excuses in terms of new kit, new tech, new this, new that. Yes, there's new regulations, but... He's been in the car for a year now, and the the thing is, the opportunity is there because you've got a Mercedes uh, team, which is rather, shall I say, dysfunctional mm. or top-heavy when it comes to one driver doing well and the other one, who has won all those world championships, isn't doing so well. So, once again, another chance, but I'm hoping that McLaren can make amends from where they slipped up last season because I feel... That similarly, the chance was there for them to beat Ferrari after you look at their sort of diabolical performances in France, for example, at the Paul Ricard circuit. So hopefully, from McLaren, lightning doesn't strike twice in that regard. And it seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 9 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much for listening to us ramble on about Imola there. Whether you've tuned in via your preferred podcast provider or live or via the Listen Back feature on River Radio, you can follow F1 in Review on Twitter. It's just that as our handle. And you can also individually follow myself and Tristan on there as well. Now, while round 5 of this uh, new season of F1 uh, comes back on the 8th of May, we'll be back as normal next week to talk about part two of the Imola Grand Prix. There's so much to talk about after that race uh, not to mention of course Lewis Hamilton the seventh, seventh time world champion finishing P14 along with Valtteri Bottas' former teammate uh, now being four points behind him in the Drivers' Championship as well as being so close to overtaking the man who succeeded him 
at Mercedes in that race just gone by, along with a whole other host of topics to come up, including uh, DRS and the uh, lack of turning on that had for a large portion of that race. But until next time, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back in the same place, same time, next week. See you later.